Hi, and welcome to Pacifim Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, that it will both challenge and inspire you. So I'm reading from Hebrews 1, and I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 4 from the New King James Version. Now, this is actually my third attempt at an introduction. So here we go. And it's only the first four verses of the whole letter. So this is awesome. It's amazing. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an, uh, by inherit, inheritance obtained a more excellent name than, than they. I, I want to start where I finished last week, and, and the deal is we only got into the first two verses. And even then I felt like we'd skimmed through and, and I was cheating because there was so much in them. Um, but I, I want to start with a confession that even though this is my third attempt to lay down a more accurate description of this profound introduction, I just can't find the words to even come close to accurately presenting the drama of these opening verses. It sort of reminds me like in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and the mind boggles at that. It's, it's such an incredible uh, sentence. But, but the deal is um, we have a little bit more information about creation than God doesn't tell us. <clears throat> and we spend so much time on what God talks about so little. But the deal is um, I believe it has to do with faith because in Hebrews it says by faith we believe that. So God didn't give us all the details. And I don't think we could comprehend them anyway if he, when he starts to explain how when he spoke, these things become a reality. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we have the mind capacity to do that, nor the time either. So he just gave us what we need and let us live with the rest. But it's also like in John. I love the first line of John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. So who can do real justice to these incredible sentences? They're the most perplexing. You, you look at them and, and the more you delve in, the more you see, but they're profound. And so <clears throat> I find the same right now uh, and into Hebrews 1, 2 to 4. Um, and it's not until we really see Jesus <clears throat> and see Jesus through Hebrews, because remember Hebrews is written to Jewish believers. Forget the Jewish, some people who believe are under tremendous pressure, um, you know, to go back to what they used to believe. And we know that's the nature of mankind where, you know, we, um, if we're in somewhere new and it gets hard or difficult or uncomfortable, we want to go back to where we were comfortable. Even if it was a prison. E even if it was darkness. Even if it was bondage. If, if we're comfortable there, we want to go back there. That's both physically and spiritually. Mostly it's, it's just people. That's the way people are. When it gets hard, we want to go back to where it's easy. And so these people, and, and that's why it's probably so relevant today, is these people were under incredible pressure. 
to go back to their previous uh, practices, the law, all the sacrifices, the rituals. They were under pressure to go back, right? And, and then there was the persecution that was increasing and there was also the threat of Rome on top of that. And so they thought, we'll go back because Christians were the primary focus of, of the Roman threat and, and also the Jewish threat. So the deal was, we'll go back to... That's what happens with people. That's what happens with many Christians. We, get, we become Christians and we think it's great. And when there's a problem arise, we go, well, I'm going back to where it was safe, where it was comfortable, where it was a bit easier. And that means going back sometimes into ignorance, going back into a cage and just getting comfortable and staying there, which is not what God intended. Anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked with that. Um, I believe we need a revelation of Jesus more than we've ever needed before. Because the church, I remember when I got saved, it was the most exciting place on the planet. And, and the people who just got saved were the most exciting people to be around. Because all of a sudden, including myself, we went from this where we didn't even believe in God to where all of a sudden we see God in everything. Where we had an encounter with God that so challenged every part of our lives, we had to rethink everything without even being told in many cases. And, and I think we've got comfortable in what we've been given and now it's a little bit blasé and boring and, you know, if we can fit it in kind of stuff. And um, I won't be looking at anybody when I say that. I'm not trying to offend any. I'm just setting out the way it is. But if you get convicted, wear it. <laughs> so, um, so that's just, you know, there was a passion and there was a zeal. Part of it was because when we got saved in 1983, we were told Jesus is coming back any moment. Not year, not, not even month, not even week, but moment, any moment Jesus. And in 1983, watching the news, it, all the indicators fulfilled the scriptures and we thought he's coming back. <clears throat> kept us on the edge of our seats, but it kept us busy. Mate, we, we share with everybody our faith. You know, he didn't come back. And good job, because you've heard me say this before. One of the turning points in my life was when an old pastor told me, Dennis, if Jesus comes back when you're hoping he does, you condemn billions of people to hell. Have you heard of that verse where Jesus says, uh, you know what, every people group will hear and then the end will come. Changed, changed my heart from being having rapture fever to being missions-minded. And I, I, we started to change then and got very in, into the Great Commission stuff. And so that might have done with the passion and zeal, but I've got to tell you, the passion and zeal is still there. Why, why else would a 65-year-old guy get so excited about going to sleep in some villages in India? Because I'm still excited about it. And, and you know, I, you, I know you're shocked when I said 65 and I'm not exaggerating. You can tell because this morning, you know, for a while now, certain people have been telling me it's time to grow up. So I put my cardigan on. <laughs> that, oh, yeah, that Jane bought for me. Well, she, buys every, she buys all my clothes. Some people think I'm trendy. Some people I'm trying to think that they don't say it, but they hint that I'm, what, mutton dressed as lamb, I think the phrase goes. <clears throat> But I have no saying it. I just wear what's in the wardrobe. Jane does all my shopping. See, that's embarrassing to confess that publicly, isn't it? 
But the deal is there's a passion and a zeal, but unfortunately in a lot of places the passion and zeal has gone out and we're just maintaining what we got. We're not advancing. Praise God that more unreached people groups are being reached now than ever before and, and, not, and missions organisations are coming together, working together. But the most wonderful thing is that Jesus is visiting people in their dreams and I've, we've got lots of evidence and testimonies of that and it's not just in one country, it's all over the place. It's happening fabulously. Many, many people coming to Christ. But in our Western cultural churches, we've sort of settled and we're just maintaining. And when you start doing that, you're actually dead before you know it, right? And it's time for a revelation of Christ. We need a view of Christ again that will excite us and stimulate and, and just propel us into the very purposes he birthed the church in the first place. So here we go. Um, Hebrews 1, 2 to 4. Um, I don't think we'll really ever understand the significance. You know that phrase and it's a song and but it lines up with the scriptures where it goes, we sing along, I can't remember the tune or the rhythm but we talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Who remembers that phrase or singing? I'm not even going to ask you to sing it. We don't really understand the magnitude of that phrase until we see the fullness of Jesus. When we see Jesus, especially the way Hebrews reveals him, that phrase goes, wow. Instead of being comfortable and easy, we look at that going, that's enormous. That's, 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 in the light of who he is, that is absolutely amazing, right? But we're so used to this gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We're so used to this, you know, Western interpretation of the gospel that Jesus is here just for me to make my life easier and to help me instead of we're being called into something so great, so grand. He commends us. I, I, I said last weekend, and it, it shocks me really when you, you hear Jesus in the Great Commission saying, all authority, all power has been given to me. And then we cut that off, but the next bit says, so go, go into all the worlds, all of your worlds, go and present the truth to them. But we, we, get, the, we get the, yeah, all, all authority, all power, but it doesn't really impress us that much. We go, yeah, yeah, intellect. We go, yeah, yeah, that's true. He's got all power and all authority. So we just maintain what we've got. Oftentimes it's taken to the extreme where people go, yeah, I've got the authority, I've got the power, but they're trying to do what they want, not what he wants. And it just messes things up. Too many people, too many people have been turned away from church from very excitable people who proclaim very boldly, boldly an inaccurate, a, a mistaken, an erroneous view of the gospel. I know, I was one. I, I had a lot of friends when I got, to, uh, just before I got saved. When I got saved, I lost all my friends pretty quick. But I did think that Jesus was coming, so I was trying to help them to escape hell. I just wasn't really smart. And they went, what is the matter with him? Don't you dare invite him again. <laughs> I, anyway, praise God. Uh, let's focus on what we're doing. And so, um, what we've seen so far, 
of Jesus from verse 2. Uh, we need to see him like this. Heir of all things. The one who made the worlds. We just read it. That's, that's in the verse. That, that he is the heir of all creation. All creation has been destined to him. He is the one who made, the, the Bible uses the word, the worlds. Having looked at that closely in the Greek words that are used there, <coughs> it's more about he has made the stories of the world. He has literally written the story of the world. <clears throat> and because we're in the world, he's written our story, which is scriptural. Uh, the psalmist said to us, you know, all the days of my life were written for me before even the first one started. So he, here's the picture of the guy that we think, yeah, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Um, we, here's this. This is what's been blowing my mind and... and it probably reveals how weak and small my mind is. But this is what's been blowing my mind this week after meditating on that. That one thought there. That we are, and, and I, I sat down, it took me ages to put these words together. So please, you know, even if you're not, pretend like you're impressed and, and like that it's really profound, right? Just, just for my sake. Because that will justify the hour or so I spent trying to word this. Um, we are the physical manifestation of all the stories that God put together for each individual who's ever lived that was running around once in his mind. Oh, thanks, Jane. He wrote the story of the world. He wrote the history of the world. Now, I know, you know, we've been given the free gift and it's the most dangerous gift. It's called free will. And it had to be that way because everything has to be based on love. And if it was forced on you, it wouldn't be love. God is love. Everything he does is love. So in, in love, he gave us free will to choose. So the deal is he's got this story, but we're in the middle of it attempting to rewrite or write our own stories. But imagine before creation, God, and that's all in his mind, had every person who ever lived story running through his mind. It was playing out in his mind. You're all looking at me like, yep. It needs another cardigan or something. But the deal is, that it, that's amazing that God in his mind, this is the person that's meek and mild, gentle and lowly. You know, this is... The, the one we relate, he had, the Bible says that God made the world through Christ. And so in the mind of God was all these stories working together, playing out together in his mind. And then he spoke and it all started physically. But before it's physical, it's all, you're going, am I in the right place this morning? But I'm trying to get you a magnitude of, of who we actually call him meek and mild and the way we look at him. He's awesome. He, he is the heir of everything. He's the author of every story, all stories. And, and we really, yeah, intellectually might grasp that, but when we go, yeah, our actions show that we don't really see it. Because if that's true, why is this happening and why is that happening? 
why is the world such a mess? And we've all got terrible stories that have happened to us or our family or friends or people down the street and all these, we hear them all the time and we go, if that's really, and I've heard that said to me, if that's really true, if God really is the creator and sovereign and in control of everything, why is all this happening? Well, firstly, it's happening because he gave you a choice and that's what we chose. And some people suffered to the consequences of other people's choice, but it's still choice, freedom of will. It doesn't mean God's approval initiated it at all. But here's the other thing that we need to know. There's a season where that changes. In this season, in this season, he's given us choice, but there's coming a day where that choice will be taken away. And then in that day, we will see the real Jesus. Not the lamb that was slain, but the lion of Judah. Not, not the one who offered his back to the whip, but the one who sits on the throne where the whole world has to report and give an account. But when we see that day, then we are understanding or a view of Jesus will dramatically change. Hebrews was written so that we could see it now and, it, and we can change our thinking now. And we need it now. Here's the greatness of his love, the wonder of his love, the power of his love, that any time, even in the darkness of our ignorance, and any time we come to a place when we realize our story could be better and we turn to the one who wrote the original story and ask him, he'll just fit us back in that storyline immediately. It's interestingly, I was, I was talking, we were talking to a couple yesterday, had great conversation of, of believers a completely different lifestyle to us. But I, Jane asked them about, you know, how, how did you become followers of Christ? And so the deal was their families, both families on both sides, were active in the church and were controlling and very religious. But it turns out that that was all an affront. It, it, the sin was incredible and it broke marriages up and broke families up and, and just ruined churches. And so these couple, as children, um, both separate stories, were left in broken families, broken with a very, very poor view of church because their church, view of church came from what they saw their fathers doing. Devastated them, didn't want a bar of it. Until one day, through a dramatic sink of circumstances, he said... He fell onto his knees and said, God, I can't do this anymore. Which is incredible because that's exactly what I said. I remember the night that I just was rotten drunk, had a fight with Jane, went horrible circumstances. The police came and, and I was big, courageous. Dennis, bold, macho man, was pretending to be asleep and left Jane to sort out the police. When they'd gone, I woke out and, and I'd, I'd had a, I'd smashed my car up and I went and sat on the fence and I looked at my car and it dawned on me that that's the last straight thing I had. I'd, I'd broken everything, even my marriage, and, and now this car's the last thing. And I remember looking up into heaven and going, God, I can't do this anymore. And, and I don't care 
if you was a churchgoer all your life and everybody thought you were so holy and righteous or if you're the worst sinner that had a dramatic conversion, the deal is we all have to come to a point where we say, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want the story that I'm making for my life. Can I have the story that you've written for my life? And he is so great and wonderful is his love that he immediately picks you out and puts you back in his storyline. Prodigal and the loving father. Immediate. That's what people don't get. With It's a great story, the prodigal, but they don't realize the prodigal's a prodigal because he's wasted an inheritance. But the moment he came back to Christ, he was given a new inheritance. Sorry, the moment he came back to his father, the father included him in his future inheritance as well. We, he starts all over. So it doesn't matter the past journey, the story that's been. He will take us and put us in his story with all the benefits. And we all go to that. This, this, is, this is who he is. So in Hebrews 1.3, even though we've been in darkness, ignorance is the same thing. The darkness of our ignorance. Even though we've tried to write our own story, even though we've ridiculed his story, even though we've worked against his story, he will immediately, so powerful is his love. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the... Listen, I'm not even going to get through this verse today. And I don't want to. I've just got a couple of words I want to look at. And this might get sound a little bit like... Uh, um, well, I was going to say theology, but it might sound like more like English because we're going to look at the dictionary quite a bit. But, but I, I want to risk boring you for a moment to help you see this because uh, this is a, amazing. The word brightness, you know, we just said he is the brightness of his glory. He's talking about Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. Now, uh, the word brightness here refers to light or splendor emitted from an a luminous body. In context, it says that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. Now, my Greek dictionary suggests that the word speaks of a radiance that shines from the source of light. And it actually uses the sun as an example. It says that the sun, nobody's really seen the sun. In physics, in the reality of physics, nobody's seen the sun. What we've seen is the light that travels from the sun to us. Now I'm impressing you with my scientific mind that I just got straight from a dictionary. But the deal is, we actually, and, and yet I thought about it, you probably don't have to, but we don't, we go, oh, there's the sun. We're not actually seeing the sun, we're seeing the light that's emanating from the sun. Agree? You're, you're all smart, educated people. You know that to be true. Well, it's exactly the same with God. Nobody's seen God, but we've seen the light that emanates through him, and that's why Jesus is called the light. Did someone say, well? I'm falling in love with you all over again. I'm going to bless you when you get home. So in context, Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. When we see, no wonder, where is that? I've got it written down here somewhere. Oh, oh it's way down here. I'll, I'll save it a bit. And so um, in context, it says Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. And so my dictionary suggests that it speaks of the radiance of, that shines from the source of light. And they use the sun 
as an example, we've, so y- you know that, I've said that already, I'm just finding my place again. Uh, so um, the word glory, uh, as in the brightness of his glory, the definition of glory is so long. It's like a legal document, fine print. Now, as pastor of the church, I'm responsible to make sure that we do the right thing. So I've got guys on our board and ladies on our board who can handle fine print. So when I was looking at the definition of doxa, glory, I nearly phoned Andrew and Paul. (laughs) Look at the fine print. Tell me what it's really saying. Because it's that big. That simple D-O-X-A, translated glory. It is huge. It's a huge word. And, and I just put a couple of um, words down to, so we can get the primer of that. Um, where is it here? Um, it's a huge definition, and, and which can start from weight. It's literally a word that can be used for weight, a great weight. And the glory of God is a great weight. In more way than one. But let's not waste time on that. I want to waste some time on some other stuff. It can talk about thinking. The doxa can be used when we're talking about actually using your brain and thinking. Doxa can be used to talk about shining radiance. And we see that oftentimes when we're talking about glory of God, we see so many... uh, Times in the Bible, pictures of rainbows and lights and emeralds and seas of crystals and just the light, the, the colors, the, the glory that emanates from him. Uh, so it can be used like that, a shining radiance. But it also, interestingly, down the bottom towards the finer print, it actually says, it, it's actually in several places used to describe or talk about the character of a person. So the glory of a person or the character of a person. So it's an inward thing, not an outward thing. So the the shining radiance is obviously an outward thing, but the character is more about moral uh, attributes of of good character. And so um, what it's talking about here in Hebrews 1.3 actually is talking about, when it says about the glory, it's actually talking about the character of God. Let me read it again. He is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So, so the brightness of his glory, he is the shining light of the character of God. You see the light that emanates from Jesus and it shows you the character of the Father. Okay. Then that next phrase, the express image of his person. This is a lot simpler. It's the idea of an exact likeness, like a stamp that's used as a mould. So, so you make a stamp, it's a, it's a mould, and then you use it again and again to reproduce whatever it is exactly the same. Well, Jesus is that stamp. He, he is the stamp of the Father. So that's why Jesus could say to Philip in John 14, 7 to 9, if you had known me, you would, have, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Philip says to him, 
Lord, show us the Father and that's sufficient for us. And, and while we're not prepared to admit it or don't recognize it straight away, so many Christians do that. If you just show me this, that's all I need. But we walk by faith. But anyway, so Philip says, uh, show us the Father and that is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? No one's seen the Father except the Son. Jesus said that, and he's not a liar. But what we've got is the image of the Father in Jesus. Now, because of our records, our teaching, because of uh, the gospel message, where most of it portrays him as a man and, and doing things of a man, the record show him as a man, it's very similar to us, except without sin, of course. But we often don't see him as God. I know John, the gospel, focuses on Jesus as God, but we don't actually see him as God. And when we do, it's more an intellectual thing. But we often mistakenly relate uh, to him as a, as a man. And so uh, the, the good thing is that um, he empathizes with us. He was tempted as us. He went through everything like we went through. And so we can, he lived uh, like we did. He, did, he put aside his, his God nature, if you would, and just did life as a man, as, as not only as a model for us, but also that we might, he might identify, we might identify with him and identify he with us so that, you know, uh, when he come to paying the price, he was tempted everywhere we tempted, blah, blah, blah. So the trouble is, we, we see that and oftentimes, mistakenly, we, we often, um, we understand the other stand, uh, side intellectually, but experientially we relate to him as a man, not as God, in the majority of times. And, and the problem with that is we tend to be a little bit blasé and, and we tend to take a lot for granted. tend to set our own priorities on things because he's a man he understands i can relate he can relate he knows and and we write our own story but but i believe we're in error i believe we're it's changing by the way i, I believe the church as a whole is in a, a dormant state just maintaining and surviving because that's the way we've related to Jesus and we've brought our own stories and we've taken control because you know um, we got to make sure we survive basically but I, I want to remind you and and there's so much but I'll just I'm saving it for the future but Hebrews 1 8 says but to the son he says so this is God the Father, right? God the Father speaking to God the Son. The Father speaking to his son Jesus, right? Your throne, O God. God the Father talking to his son, talking to Jesus. The one we intellectually know as God, equal with God at least, um, but relate to as a man. But listen, God the Father says to him, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That's the way God sees him, speaks to him, deals with him. That's who he is now. We see Jesus. We look back and see Jesus on his earthly life, doing everything he did, going through all that he had to go through to satisfy all the requirements of the law and to, to make himself a, a substitute who would be accepted for us in our place, right? He's doing all that. We focus on that. But the moment that he ascended into heaven, he was given the name above every name and seated at the right-hand side of God and was given all authority and power. We can't see that because we're living in an age where God says, well, you know, you make the story, you... But one day in his, in his love and his grace, that season comes to an end. And that's when we'll see Jesus rule and reign. Right? I, I, this thing just blows my mind. Jesus is the heir of all things. The one who made the worlds. That is the heir of all creation. And the one who made the story of the earth, including your story and my story. See, to see and relate to Jesus as a man helps establish the connection, the relationship we have with him. Because he understands, he empathizes. But I'm, I've got to tell us, I've got to remind us, I've got to urge us, there's so much more to see. There's so much. Praise God for that because, as I said, we can identify with him. He can identify, we can relate to him and that's how we come into that relationship. But we, if we maintain that view and only that view, then... It's missing. It's incomplete. It's unbalanced. It's unhealthy. Praise God for it. It's all right, but it's, it's on its own. You need to put the other stuff with it. We need to complete the picture. We need to see who this Jesus really is. And if God the Father says, here's your throne, take your rightful place, we need to see him not now just as a man walking the earth. We need to see him as seated in authority and power. Over everything. We got communion here. So can you prepare communion? Carefully pull that first film back to get to the wafer. But as you do, let me read this. And 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 when you start looking, you know how you see more? Well, well, this is all over the place, but I'm reading from 1 Peter 3. And, and I want you to listen to this. 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of, filth, uh, of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. The way we think about God. Listen now. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made 
subject to him. That's who we worship. Everything, seen and unseen, has been made subject to him. He rules and he reigns. And one day you'll see the fullness of that, but not yet. We're in a dispensation of grace. The days of man, we're in a dispensation of grace and praise God for that. Because none of us would have made it, ever. But God loved the whole world, all of creation. So that is the billions who've ever lived. But there's coming a time when that comes to an end. And then we'll see his, him in his rightful place. So right now, I want you to take the wafer. And as the Bible says, remind us that this Jesus, who was tempted in every way, he walked the earth as a man, tempted, but never fell, never sinned. He gave his body to be brought, the perfect sacrifice. Gave his body. Let's see. And then we take the juice, which represents the blood that was shed. But just for the unjust, the innocent, for those who are guilty. And his blood was shed deliberately and intentionally for the washing of our souls, for the salvation of our souls, that we, that we might be free to come to God, completely forgiven. Let, let's drink in remembrance. So at the very least, I'm talking to a room of people who believe in Jesus. Diff offering different levels, obviously, of, the, of our maturity of our faith, which is connected, relatable. But at the very least, I'm hoping that from this morning, we'll take another look. That's all I'm asking. Just take another look. Just, just think about what you look at. Are we looking at Jesus, the man who we can relate to? Jesus, the man who, was, who walked the earth for the 33 years? Did we just identifying with him who, who identified with us so that he, we could have empathy and understand completely? Is, is that if we're constantly looking? Or, or have we turned our gaze a little bit and having another look, a better look at, at the Jesus of the now? Seated at the right hand of God with all authority and all power. I, I'm convinced we start to look at that Jesus, I think things will start to change. As I said before, in the Great Commission, he said, all authority on earth and under the earth, everything seen, everything unseen, has been given to me. All authority and power. I mean, the one, and I can't get over this, the one who created every story, and then in his mind, all the stories combined and played out in his mind before creation. How, how great and powerful and what authority? It goes beyond my comprehension, but, but that's the one now who's seeding on high. Who, who, and again, I can't understand this. He wants to be our friend, but he's Lord and he's Savior and Lord and soon coming King. I, I think when we start to look at him, who he is right now, and perhaps look a bit ahead to who he'll become, Actually, he never changes. It's just that we're in a dispensation of grace. But the deal is, if we've got to fix our eyes on him, fix our eyes on Jesus, not just the author of our faith, but the finisher, the one who completes it. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, 
We're so grateful that you loved us so much. So much as individuals and corporately, of all people who ever lived, you loved so much. And even in the darkness of our ignorance where we, we blamed you and people point you out in Old Testaments, not understanding they're only looking at part of the picture, you loved the whole of existence so much that you sent your son. Having written the stories of all mankind, of the earth itself, You loved us so much, you gave us the choice. I pray right now for all those who are hearing and thinking about the things that I've shared, that your spirit, who may have to interpret them for every mind and every heart so that they hear what they're supposed to hear. Holy Spirit, do that. But let each and every one of us now take another look. Look a little bit closer. Perhaps even change our viewpoint that we might really know you, that we might see you so clear. I thank you that we all know in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our community our state, our country, we need change. And we know, whether we recognise it or like it or not, we're the ones who have been given the free will to make that change. Help us see him so we can make the changes that he would make. Help us get back into his story so his story can be played out, not ours. Because we know that will change everything. That will change us. That will change our marriages, our families, our community. It will change this world. In Jesus' name we pray for this. And we ask. <laughs> With shameless audacity that Holy Spirit, you would show us afresh. The one who loves us, the one we worship, the one we serve, help us to see him more clearly than we've ever seen him before. Now may your blessings, your protection, your provision rest upon us and our loved ones. And may we all continue to grow in the knowledge of our God speak it out I ask it in Jesus name and everybody said thank you for listening to our podcast we hope you were blessed with today's message you can connect with us at pacifentchristianchurch.com